Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. back on the things we say i'm sheldon and i'm nate and we were just recently i don't know if we mentioned this in our last podcast but we were just recently on another podcast yes. called silver screen biases talking about uh return of the jedi yes which is a movie i did yes. not watch in preparation to talk about <laughs> <laughs> which was probably one of the most delightful things about the podcast to be honest all, all you need to do is at least start that episode and get to the point <laughs> where i tell the whole group that in preparation for this podcast i watched the entirety of empire strikes back <laughs> i'm just impressed that you realized it before you got there <laughs> that you watched the wrong movie <laughs> But you know, it's never a bad time to rewatch Empire Strikes Back. It's just not. It's just it is a good movie just in general. It's a good movie. And it is my favorite of every Star Wars anything. Yeah, but you could clearly tell that I misunderstood the assignment. Yes. Well, it's fair. The reason that it threw Sheldon cuz he he did with Rylan his son did the one on A New Hope. Right. With them. And then so he was thinking what's the next movie? Well, there was somebody else who was on and did the following movie. Uh, so it was an honest mistake. And you were just saying you would have liked to to meet the guy that did the second episode. Yeah, yeah. Them. So Nelson, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a holler because I wanna. I, I wouldn't mind meeting him. He he interested me greatly. Um, I feel like we have a lot in common, but we also are in different stages of life and different choices that we made. He talks some about his, um, how he particularly finds a lot of solace in you know singing from a hymnal now and having very quiet. Uh, contemplative worship as opposed to essentially what we do at, at our church. And uh, I do not begrudge that at all. I totally understand where that's coming from, but that is not where I'm at, nor is it really where I've ever been. Uh, so, I, but yeah, there's, I would love to meet that guy. So Shel, uh, not Sheldon, uh, Nelson, I'm going to, I'm going to holler at you for that. Also, I did, uh, I did uh, send the letter for the thing you sent me, <laughs> you gave me. So just so you know, Nelson, if you listen to this, I'll text you too, but here you go. There you go. But anyway, Silver Screen Biases, it's pretty cool. It's it's a good deal. Yeah, and you get to hear us ramble on and on about Star Wars stuff, which was a ton of fun. Nate had a lot of good, interesting things to say. I was a giant distraction the entire time. <laughs> no, you Jeff, were delightful. Jeff and Nelson have a good format, and they do a good job. So. I will say, I learned something about myself doing that podcast, and that is that the constant accumulation of worthless information or seemingly worthless information that I have acquired over my nearly 40 years of life. It's ran it's so random and things will come out of my mouth where I go, Oh yeah, I remember reading that, but I, I, it wasn't like something I intentionally right. internalized, but it's just there and I can crank it out. And I'm like, this is weird. Like it, I feel like the guy from that limitless movie uh, where he takes that drug that all of a sudden lets him unlock everything he's ever even subconsciously taken into his brain, and he suddenly remembers it all. Remembers it all with clarity. Once I get going on a topic, I feel like I just get into that mode where things just start coming out, and I'm like, I forgot that I knew that fact, or I forgot that I knew about this thing, but there it is. I don't know where that comes from, but it is. Uh, 
It's super weird. It's very helpful when doing sermons, though. I will say that. It is. That is a useful thing that I have found when preaching because I can just, yeah, I can just kind of roll with something. One of the things I give the Holy Spirit the most credit for when I'm speaking is the ability to just bring a scripture to mind that ties to another one in a unique way that I hadn't thought of before. And whether that's in the sermon writing or in the moment really doesn't matter. Right. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not great at recall all the time. Like I have these vague recollections, but those are so specific that they're, they're always very helpful. Yeah. And, and, uh, you can't go wrong. Just, uh, talking about the Bible from the Bible. That's, that's 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 one of the funny things about me. I mean, preacher's kid, multiple generations in, been in the church all my life. I'm terrible at, like, here's the verse and the reference for this particular Oh, I don't verse. do I'm references. Awful, but I can talk to you about parables and stories and, and the people and different, like, that stuff all, all stayed and all retained. But, man, it is an effort. I can remember, like, four scriptures and their references because they're the ones everybody knows. <laughs> I am blown away by the people that have the ability to yeah. recall references. Yeah, legitimately. Um, I... Legitimately, one of the most impressive pastors that I ever heard speak was a guy that spoke in my church that I was growing up in, and he would preach from the King James Bible, and it was word for word, and yeah. it was memorized. Yeah. And he would just call out a chapter and verse and start rattling it off. Yeah. And it was memorized. Yeah. And... You know, people can say what they want about Mennonites just picking a random, uh, I won't say random, but basically a random farmer from the congregation yeah. to be their next pastor. Yeah. But this guy was impressive, put a lot of time into yeah. it, and he was older. He's passed away years ago. Um, and yeah, I just, I was always in awe yeah. of his ability to, to pull, not only recall scripture, recall it word for word, and have a reference for it. Just phenomenal. Yeah. There's Something a, that I definitely would not have the time to do today yeah. with right. Instagram or right, <laughs> all the right. other distractions <laughs> I might have in my life. Yeah, there's a there's a local a local pastor, Jerry O'Brien, who uh, <clears throat> attended our church for a long time <clears throat> before starting his own church. And uh, and he he has that ability and he's actually dyslexic. And so oh, for him it wow. was like I have to memorize this because my comprehension is not where I can sit and read it and consume it. And he talked about even you know, literally how he would literally put the Bible up to his forehead and just ask the Lord, like, please, like, let me understand this and let me comprehend it and let me, and he can rattle off, and he's right, like, he can rattle off, and it's typically in that kind of King James-esque thing. The only other person I've heard that do something like that is uh, Dan Bohai, uh, who's been in yeah. our church a time or two, and uh, he just, that's, I think that's all he reads <laughs> is the Bible just over and over and over again, just constantly, and uh, his ability to recall and and... I mean, chapter, verse, he could probably call out page even, yeah. uh, is pretty incredible. But again, not a skill that I've ever possessed. But it's a life-saving thing for Dan. Like, you can tell yeah. that that was... That was that, his lifeblood. Yeah. Yeah. It was his life, and that has... He stuck with it. And yeah. And it's really, really helped him. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking on a less serious topic. I was thinking about haircuts the other day, <laughs> and... N- <laughs> Nate told me about a mutual friend of ours where <laughs> you were like, your mom is still cutting your hair. <laughs> and yes. I thought how true that is for a lot of guys. Yeah. Like, your mom is still cutting your hair. Yeah. And he's and like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, and my logic is, I have known you for 28 years, and the entire time, you've had the same haircut. And now you're 30, what, 37 or 38, 
and you still have the same haircut that you had when you were 10 when I met you. And he's like, well, yeah. I was like, who picked your haircut back then? Well, my mom. And you're still getting your haircut that way. Your mom still picks your haircut. <laughs> and uh, I've always been one of those weirdos that my haircut has changed a lot constantly. I've always been... In these years, I've been more consistent with it because I just don't feel like messing with it. But I've had it shoulder length, completely yeah. buzzed off, and everything in between uh, in my years. And so I don't understand everything that at all. in between. Like, everything in between. Um, what was it? Maybe a year or two ago when you got ordained, you had a mohawk. Yeah, I had a mohawk, and that was intentional. If they the were gonna, sides, if, if they were gonna make to me be wear, fair, it wasn't like shaved. No, but the sides were cut very pretty close. short, and the middle was. It all looked, long. it looked just like a very nice fade until I turned sideways, <laughs> and then you saw it all in the back. And uh, and that was intentional because I was like, if they're gonna have me wear a suit, which they will, I am going to have a mohawk. Like, there's just a little bit of that purposeful rebellion in me that I feel like is the hallmark of who I am as a person <laughs> that just needed to be a part of it. I've kind of thought about going back to that. I liked that haircut. That was. That was fun. I may do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I always had my hair buzzed because there was three boys in our house and, yep. and haircuts were coming due all the time. And dad had one haircut that you were getting. Yep. And his rule was basically, when you don't want your hair buzzed, then get in your car and go pay for a haircut. That's right. <laughs> I will say that there's there's this weird trade-off because I like a barbershop experience. And I mean the thing, like the smells and the... You know, particularly if it's a guy cutting your hair, like there's just something good. But I also don't mind going to a salon and having a a gentler hand wash my hair and do some of these things. It's like a weird trade off. Like, I don't want some dude washing my hair. I have no desire for that. But I don't mind it at a salon. It's kind of nice and kind of relaxing. I don't Uh, think I've ever had my hair washed at a salon. It's kind of nice. It's yeah. nice. I mean, it's a little different now because it's my sister-in-law that does it now. <laughs> and so it's not like... Yeah, there's no tension here. No, there's no tension there at all. Not that there ever was. I remember hearing a comedian talk about that once. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, they, they take me in and they start washing my hair. I'm like, is this free? Like, is it, should there be a curtain pulled for this? <laughs> I'm not okay. No. <laughs> I'm still laughing. <laughs> Yeah, Sheldon started us off on a bad note tonight before we even started. So watched one of the funniest videos I've ever seen. <laughs> if we and randomly made, can't hold I it made, together, I made Nate watch it too, and we were and we my were face hurts convulsing. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, haircuts. There you go. Yeah, I so and, and then I I started getting my haircut at a barber. Obviously, once I left home, but I don't know. I kind of always had the same haircut, and then I started. I started changing it up a little bit. Like I would get it longer on the top yeah. and whatever. And one time I tried to grow it out and I just look like a mushroom. Yeah. Like you just, just your looks, hair is just like, it looks, your ridiculous. hair is like wolf hair, man. It is just like, <laughs> it is serious. It's thick and there's heavy nothing and flowing about your hair. No. It's just, it is there <laughs> and it is, it, it, your hair is like your personality. It is just what it is and you're going to like it. Yeah. Like and, just, and I could grow it longer. It doesn't look good. Wouldn't be I happy. Can't can't do it but at least i'm gonna keep it because i'm 39 and i still got it i still yes. got all my hair yeah i did over covid bleached it for the first time which is awesome bleached my hair so yeah it was very was it was very new wave punk it was, it was very yellow yes. the first time i did it and then and you fixed it the second time i did it i'm like i'm going for white like i want to go on the white side of yellow yeah. as, as far as i can and i thought i did a pretty good job yeah that time and <sighs> i'll probably do it again this summer so 
I am I am going to uh, a punk show at Blossom, so it's good. Oh, be that's good. right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know if I'm going to do it this summer or my traditional yeah. Christmas time, ruining I'm, all the family Christmas pictures with I my am, bright white hair. I'm actually really excited. I'm We haven't paid for it yet, but uh, in Columbus on the 29th of September, it's either the 28th or the 29th. I don't remember which one. Switchfoot is going to be playing at a club called the Blue Note. Which Sweet. is an old converted church. It's all standing room only, but it's it's like a it's like a liturgical church, like stained glass windows, you know, all wood kind of deal. Uh, all the pews are out. Literally, you stand in the balcony, you stand on the floor, wherever you can find a stand is where your seat is. Wow! But they're touring the beautiful letdown again. They have re-recorded the beautiful letdown altogether. They they did one that was called our version because apparently, right when they recorded the beautiful letdown, uh, they were dropped by their label. Wow. And they didn't even think they were going to get to release it. So when they finally got picked back up again, they had to rework it according to the producers and the desires of the label. And so it was a little different than their original vision. So they came out with a new one. But hearing them re-record it, you know, all these, what, 20 years later um, is just really exciting. And the fact that they're going to tour that album, I'm like, I have to go. Like, that was literally the soundtrack of some of the most formative years of my life. Like, I have to go oh, to that sure. tour. So I'm really looking for. I mean, they're a great show anyway. They're just a ton of fun, always high energy. Um, but uh, that particular album will be will be good to to go see. So I'm I'm gonna go do that. Yeah, it just hasn't worked out for me to get to a decent rock show in quite a while. And during COVID, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to be in a crowd of people yeah. where I could not move. Yeah, that's what I wanted. Yes. You know, something just short of a Travis Scott concert <laughs> where he gets stampeded. Yes. Like, I want something right up to Right that. up to the stampede. Yes. Oh, man. A decent mosh pit, people all all together. That's what I was hoping for. Well, and I think it's interesting, too, because uh, Switchfoot is one of only two bands from my youth that really are still together. Right. Which would be Reliant K and Switchfoot. That's really it and no newsboys don't exist anymore i don't care what they no, call they themselves don't. that's not the newsboys as soon as peter fuller left yeah was, yeah that was it and you know dc talk's never gonna happen again at this rate uh and toby mack is just he's too old like dude's just get <laughs> he is like i i watch him on shows now and i'm like dude you're tired and yeah. i don't mean that in a in a negative way i'm just like you're, I, like you've done this for a long time you're tired i can tell you're tired but you're still you're still rocking it. You're still doing your thing. But my desire to participate in that is just not anymore. Yeah, it's pretty horrible how <clears throat> audio adrenaline and the newsboys got hijacked by DC Talk. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, yeah, that bothered me. It's not good. No. And you had Toby, who was the only honest one still out there. Yeah. I wish he would just wear a T-shirt that says "Yes, I ruined DC Talk" because it was. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That's not actually true. I did I did watch a documentary recently where they're talking about that and how Toby was just like, no, we're doing great. We're doing all the things. But they were just – he was the one running the show. Yeah. For those the first initial success of DC Talk, it was literally Toby wrote everything. Everything was his brainchild. DC Talk was his vehicle, and they all just did the thing. And their very last album, uh, Supernatural, was the first album that they all three wrote together on. And then they were like, we want to do we want to do some of our own stuff now. And of course, the only successful one really with the solo stuff has been Toby. Right. Because Toby is DC Talk. What he does now is what DC Talk would be if they had stayed together. That makes sense. Yeah, but a little sad. But that's not why we're here. That's not why we're here. One of the things I wanted to talk about tonight was just talking about work and how 
I don't know. Just talking about the nature of work. And so we were doing, uh, we had a sermon this morning that was talking about where your treasure is, there your heart will be, but also talking about working hard. And there's something about um, the ability to work hard and, and to do something that matters. Yeah. Um, but I was just thinking about work in general and how there is at a couple stages. One, there is pressure on young people to say, what it is, what is it that you're going to do with your life? Yeah. What is your purpose? And a lot of that is tied to your job. So sometimes people come up to you and the first question is, what do you do? Yeah. And so work is such an <laughs> integral part of who you are as a person. What yeah. was your thought? I, Something just went across When you just said that, all I can picture is Arnold Schwarzenegger going, who is your daddy and what does he do? What does he do? <laughs> so that went through my head and yes, I chuckled. I there apologize. You go. No, it's all good. I got it out. <laughs> and what, what, what do you do? And, <clears throat> and um, I, I, none of this would be to shame somebody who can't work or no. you're in a situation where that's not possible or your work looks a little different than somebody else. Right. But... Um, I was thinking about Jesus and how he, when he was here as God on earth, a lot of his time was spent either apprenticing with his father, yeah. working with his hands, doing something like that. And we all think of nomadic Jesus that right. doesn't have a home and all that. He had a home until he began his ministry. Right. And then he was going specific places that God was sending him for specific things. It looks like he's wandering, but he's not. He's right. not wandering as someone who's lost. Right. There you go. You got that quote in there. I'm, there you go. I'm pleased. I'm very pleased. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting for me to talk about work because <clears throat> my entire life has been spent in two professions that people don't think of as work. Right. Which That's is one of the reasons which is I ministry to talk about this. And music. Like I am a musician and I'm a pastor. And that has been my entire existence. And so you always get the jokes like, oh, you only work one day a week or, oh, you're a musician. That's just all fun and games. And you get to tour and you get to do the things. And people have no idea the amount of work that goes into doing things because like that. Because people have fun at concerts. They do. And, and the band has fun at concerts. Like right. an actual show is fun. Right. Everything else, hauling <laughs> the equipment, driving to the venue, getting paid too little for the time that you just spent, you know, barely covering gas, like doing all of those things. Booking out tours, like it is, it is an absolute horrible accommodations, bad, bad dressing rooms, you know, bad food. Like it is not a, a fun life. We always call it the diesel sniffers, you know, the people who want to do that for their whole life. You know, it's a, it's an insane thing. Yeah. Probably one of the hardest working people I know is Emily Fertig. Oh like yeah. She <clears throat> works super hard yeah. and was in her and her husband were in music for a long time, just getting started. Right. And I would look at them. I'm like, you guys are having a lot of fun up on stage, but you work so hard right. for what you do. And that's the and payoff. That's the point where you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, right. This is why we do this. And you get to live your dreams. You get to do some things. But right. it is it is draining. It is grueling work. Yeah. I, and so meeting them young, fairly young and seeing some of that was helpful. Yeah. And I for sure never had this concept in my mind no time in the last 20 years at least where right. i was like oh yeah musicians they don't really do right. anything well and i've had the interesting experience where i've had the experience of being the band and being the guy in a band <clears throat> but also the experience of hey we need a bass player for these four shows here's you know 12 songs to learn in three weeks 
and we don't use any charts or anything on stage. You're just going to have to memorize them all. Oh, and by the way, four of these have really intricate bass lines that the the hook of the song depends on. And if you're not playing it right, we're we're not or or you're doing the intro. Like it is a it is a taxing. Like you will spend a lot of time what we call woodshedding, just sitting in a room by yourself with the charts, listening and trying to mimic what you're hearing on the recording as close as possible. Uh, it is it. It is that is a tough thing, and I prefer much more what I do now, uh, right. because really, you know, being in a worship team and being on consistent teams like we are, a lot of the, I get the benefit of everybody else's work in that sense. Yeah. Not to say that I'm not working, not to say I'm not doing things, but like I'm just the guy that's going to play rhythm guitar and sing sing the next phrase and do those things. Whereas you know we've got a lead guitar who's learning the lead parts. We've got the drummer who's you know memorizing all the cuts and all the things keyboard player who's got all the intros you know it's everybody coming together with the thing they've contributed but it it is very different than being one of those guys and coming with that pressure that is a that's a heavy thing it's tough it is difficult to be the guy running the thing yeah um one thing that i was thinking about too you mentioned pastors and that is a tough job i and a lot of people don't think that it is but if you if you think about a church of even your average church size is about 100 people but even with a church size of 100 people, ours is uh, north of 1,000 people. But yeah. um, if, you, if you have 100 people, the number of people that have new babies, right. that go into the hospital, that get married at your church, whether or not they're members of your congregation, but they just want to get married at your church, right. or they are in your congregation, they want to get married... And then the people that you're burying, the people that you're at their bedside as, right. as they're ill or something like that. Um, and in a lot of churches of 100 people, that's one guy. Right. Now, we haven't even talked about what he's doing at the building. Right. You know, and a lot of times they're cleaning the building. They're doing a bunch of other things. Right. They may be involved in board meetings throughout the week. They've got... And then they're supposed to l- deliver a sermon every Sunday morning that's got to be well-studied, well-thought right. out, faithful to the scriptures, faithful to where the people are at, and not preaching directly at people, but bringing right. truth that's timely and that right. kind of thing, um, and in a way that's both honoring to God and encouraging to people and applicable. And right. that that whole thing takes such a unique skill set and such a long amount of time. Right. I the one of the things that um just blows me away is how a in a lot of situations a pastor is asked to just walk in and basically provide all the form and functions of people's most critical moments mm. without showing extreme emotion one way or the other, but to be there as yeah. a steady hand in the most critical moments of our lives. And we've never thought about what this guy does right. before or after. And if you do your job well, most people during those most critical moments, they remember their loved one who's getting married. They remember their loved one who passed away or right. that was there. And they, they may remember it as being a very sweet, very intimate time, but they might not remember you. Right. You know? Right. And at most, what they will remember is that you were there. And maybe something that you said really carries with them. Right. And that's fine. That's God and all glory to him right. in those situations. But we we are asking that of somebody. Right. That's a big ask. Right. And I think... Like if you were going to go out and pay somebody to do that, right. 
what would you have to pay? Right. And and I think there's a reason that pastors burn out so often yeah. is because the and it's not just about pay. I mean, you're not there just for the money or any of that kind of junk right. because again, I kind of threw that in the No, but it, and I don't think that was that was wrong for you to say with that. I right. But no 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 pastor gets into ministry to become wealthy. I mean, that's just not a thing. Pastors, politicians, and police should never become wealthy just from doing that, just from being that. If they start writing, or they're writing songs, or they're writing books, or those kind of things, that's a whole other thing. But uh, if, if pastors, politicians, or police are making money just doing that, and it's a lot, be a little suspicious. Uh, just a little. Right. At least a little. Be cautious anyway. But I, I think one of the things, and I remember my dad telling me this early on, he said, you know, you never, you never know and can never understand until you've been in it, the emotional drainage of pastoring. Because it's not just the emotional lows that take it out of you. It's the emotional highs. You you have a great Sunday or or you see a bunch of people that come to Jesus or they, you know, they're they're turning their lives around a lot and it's an intensity, but then you come down from that. It's just there's this this roller coaster aspect to ministry because again, like you said, at the same time you're celebrating the birth of somebody new, here's somebody who's been a long-standing member of the church that's actively dying and you go from, you know, the hospital uh extreme of joy in a hospital to the hospital extreme of sorrow and, and loss and another and, and that can be within hours of each other or even minutes of each other. Yeah. And and the kind of emotional toll that those extremes take is is really incredible. It's it's unbelievably draining. Um and I also find that one of the things that's interesting is there's not necessarily incorrectly, but there's this expectation that you're always available. Yeah. You're always available to people. I mean, the one time you miss or the one time you're you're you drop the ball, that's what people remember. They remember the time you weren't there. They remember the time that you were away or that you, you know, didn't show up or whatever it may have been. And those are the ones that kill you. Like you don't those don't go away. You think about those forever. Right. Um and it's not necessarily reasonable, but it doesn't change how it feels. It doesn't change what sits with you. For sure. Mm. So there's a lot of interesting aspects to it, and and it is it is it is the work of of caring, the work of being present. Um, no matter what else is going on, it's it's heavy. It's yep. heavy stuff. And I've seen I've seen you and others on the staff just drop what they're doing and go to a hospital room because somebody that we care about is there. Yeah. And you're just there. I mean, yeah. it could be seven o'clock at night. Right. It's just you're there. It could be ten o'clock at night. It doesn't right. matter. It, it, you're somebody is going there, and just the amount of care that an organization that that takes to be able to do yeah. that kind of thing is and, and fairly incredible. And while it is taxing, there's also a unique joy to it too. I yeah. mean, there's there's. It's, I'm, I don't want to make it sound like ministry is depressing or ministry is a drain. It's 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 not because there is there's a there's reward in it and there's incredible yep. there's incredible joy in it. Um, but we're still human, <laughs> and it is and it is it is work. It is yeah. it is a profession. It is a job. You know, but it is ministry as well. And I think that's what Jesus modeled so so well. Yeah, um, you can tell from the things that he talked about and the way that he went about his life, that he was somebody that had worked with his hands, that understood yeah. what it took. Um, and people talk about him being a carpenter and working with wood. What's interesting is Galilee was had a st- stone quarry 
yeah. Nazareth specifically, yeah. had, had a stone quarry, and it was more likely in the construction of their time that you wouldn't have had a carpenter. It was probably somebody, a builder, yeah. would be probably something closer to what he was. Right. Probably worked with stones, laying stones, that kind of thing. And you see it when, when he's talking about the cornerstone, the stone that was rejected has now become right. the capstone, all those kinds of, uh, or yeah, the stone that was rejected has now become the cornerstone. All of that, you can you can hear it in the way he talks, in the way he moves. And then later on, you see the Apostle Paul, and he's working as a tent maker. And he's like, yeah, I as, as a pastor, as an apostle, I could go to the church and right. say, hey, you know, you guys need to take care of me because I'm taking care of you. And he's like, in many ways, people have done that. Right. But I also want to be an example to you that is good to work with your hands. It is good to make something right. of value. And... Um, one of one of the things that I was thinking about recently is how work can take things that is, that are previously in like not super valuable and turn it into something that has a lot of value. Yeah. So just working with your hands usually means that you're taking something that was in a previously poor or unusable state and moving it to something of of much more significant value. Yeah. Even if that's an iPhone, you're putting an iPhone together, right? right? And it, it before, what is it? It's plastic. Right. It's some wires. It's a computer chip that was made by somebody else. It's got different components in it. But when you put put it all together, you make something beautiful that people can use and hold and 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 do all kinds of things with. So you've created value. You've created value in a way. And I think of that in a, in assembly or something like where I work in a factory. We're taking steel and building tractors that people are doing amazing things with and building their whole living yeah. off of this thing that used to be just a hunk of steel or an engine or like a few other components and you're putting it all together. Yeah. But we're doing that day in, day out and just creating things of immense value. And and it's like, this is why somebody is paid. They're They're taking something that wasn't valuable at all, creating right. something brand new and and producing it. And that's that's in the service industries too. Yeah. Like you're taking something that's disorganized, that's all messed up, you're organizing it, you're creating something useful out of it, you're passing it along. If you're right. a teacher, you're doing the same thing. You're taking, you know, skulls of mush and turning them into sharpened <laughs> instruments for good. You hopefully. know, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hopefully you're not just using them as indoctrination. Right. <laughs> yes. That is you know, a, portals, but it's that's a whole thing. Yeah. I, I, I've just had this in reading through scripture and, and in different places, uh, especially even in our message this morning, just uh, the value of work and that it is not so many times in our culture, we think, oh, I'm just going to work hard until I die and work is a necessary evil. Right. But work is good. Work is something that God created, ordained, yeah. blesses. Even before the fall. Yeah. And it's, it's in the Adam life. and Eve had a job. It's in the life of the church, this whole like utopia of just retiring and sitting somewhere and sipping tea and yeah. you know looking out at the sunset. I think that's what your dad said, something like that today. Yeah. And, and that was awesome. I'm like, that is not the goal. The goal is to bring glory to God. The goal is to create something of lasting value and right. store up treasures in heaven But and all of that, but a good... A good solid career, a good producing something good is yeah. also of extreme value. Right. And that's why we pay people, you know? Well, and I think that I think people underestimate the value that it brings to your own life. Yeah. I, I think all too often people 
people do. They think the punching the clock, and that's one of the things I love about the Christian faith in particular is, is Scripture is very clear that everything you do, it doesn't matter how, quote, mundane or right. behind the scenes or, quote, unimportant it is, you're to do it for the glory of God. You are to give it purpose because you are doing something with excellence and with heart because it's for God. It is an act of worship to God. And and this idea that things have value based on what culture or what people or what your pay scale is, as opposed to just the reality that this gives me purpose. This gives me something that I can use to glorify my maker and to and to bring glory to him and bring honor to him. That's massively uh adds to the purpose of somebody's life to come from that approach as opposed to, again, just thinking, well, I'm just a button pusher. I'm just a factory worker. I'm just a car salesman. I'm just whatever. Right. There is no just in the kingdom of God. And that's part of co-laboring with God and realizing he's with you in your work. If, If what you're doing is worthwhile, like he's, he's with you. Right. And if what you're doing is not bring him glory like if you're working at something nefarious yeah you should probably stop that yeah, you should probably you know deal I mean? with deal with that <laughs> not not everything is good work but there i would say you know anything that's that's that god is blessing you're blessing the work of your hands yeah. that's good good things where do. where do you think the line comes because obviously there's the issue of finding contentment in work versus finding identity in and work. That's part of what I was going to get to when people ask you basically who you are and their question really is who you are, but their question out their mouth is what, what do, you do you do? And so many of us define ourselves by what it is that we do and who I am is a child of God. Who I am is a husband. Right. Who I am is a number of different things, but it has very little to do with where where I spend my time or where I punch my clock. Right, and I think there there is two sides to it. The one the one side where people see work as a bad thing and mm. unnecessary evil, and oh, I have to work to pay the bills, and that's it. And the other people, the other side of it is, I work because if I don't, I feel worthless. Yeah, and. There, there is a bad side to all of that within your psyche where your value as a person is tied to your work. Right. Um, that is something that you need to find freedom from. Uh, your value should not be tied up in what it is that you do. Right. You are valuable because you're made in the image of God. Right. Because you reflect who he is in some way. And, and because he says you're valuable and he paid the ultimate price for you. Right. And you don't have to do anything to earn his love. In the same way, like I've I have kids, they don't have to work. No. Or do something impressive or get some sort of award for yeah. me to be proud of them or to yeah. love them. And we wouldn't say that of any child. Like you look at some cute little kid and you'd be like, you know what? You really gotta prove yourself. Right. <laughs> you know. Well, and that's it's, that's been one of the things, and I was you know, honestly, I was very much raised this way, but I've we've tried to instill this in my kids too. The time they probably get the most praise from me is when I've had to discipline them. Because I will constantly tell any of my kids, like if it's strong, I will tell them like if there's been a consequence, you know, whether it's and yes, I spank my children, get over it, it's a thing. Uh, it's not my, my only tool not in the toolbox, but box, but it is right. one of the tools. Um, but I will tell him like, "You are my son, and I will love you forever, no matter what." After the fact, like that's the thing. Like this does not change anything. Right. 
you are my son and I will love you forever. It doesn't matter what you do ever. And I tell my daughters that that is just flat out true. And honestly, I feel that more in those times than any other, because while I may be like, yes, I need to correct this behavior or yes, this was disrespectful to your mother and we're going to deal with it, you know, whatever it may be. Like, I don't feel any sense of wanting to stiff arm them as a person. Like I want them closer in those moments. Cause I'm like, man, this is not who you are. I've seen who you are and it's better than this. And there's more than this. Right. And man, it is, it's always, and I remember that like discipline when I was a kid, it was a very bonding experience I, as much as I hated it. But I remember sitting on my parents' lap and them calling out good things in me and them like, that was what it was for us growing up all the time. Yeah. Um, after the horrifyingness of, if we were all three in trouble, you line them all three up on the bed, and you start with Hillary, you go to Caleb, and you end with me. So I get to hear all all the other two get it, and then I'm the last one, you know, as it goes. <laughs> so there's those little things that now you look back right. as an adult, and it's kind of a little funny. Um, but it was. It was always – there was always love. There was always reminders of what was good and what we were and who we were. Um, and And so for me, it's that thing of, like, you're not going to disappoint your way out of my heart. Right. And realizing that with God too, like you can't, you can't disappoint your way out of my heart. Like I, I love you. I have chosen you. I've called you. And yes, there are things that I've called you to do. And there are things that, yes, you're going to have to account for. What did you do with what I put in your hand? But it's not value in the sense of whether or not he loves you or whether or not he accepts you. And we miss that in the church. Yeah. We miss that too. And I think we, we tend to preach that in the church too much. You know, that, that if you're struggling with a particular sin or if you're, not representing Christ in a certain way that, well, you're, you're letting him down. You're letting Jesus down. I'm like, no, like I get what you're trying to say. I understand that you're trying to say, but that's like when you lie to a kid because like, well, it's better for them if they just think it's this way. And then they go off into the real world and find out what you told them wasn't true. And it becomes more of a problem than a help. And the other thing that isn't helpful coming from, you know, the Mennonite background is we're always, we always work hard. It's a hard working culture and everybody pitches in and you do for family and all that other stuff. And wrapped up in that is you, you, if you aren't contributing, what are you doing? Like what you're doing is not valuable if you're not contributing to the project that we're all working on right Right. now. And I don't, I don't, think that my parents communicated that in any way. It's more culturally yeah. taught than, no, I would agree. than specifically taught. And yeah. it was it was more the general culture that we were in. And I think that's something that my wife experienced too. And she was raised in a completely different state. It's just like, um, I'm valuable because of what I contribute to right. this family or what I contribute to this, to the church or to my business. And and to show that I'm valuable, I'll tell you all the things that I'm doing that that makes me super busy. Right. And and on the other side of it, I've done some super meaningless work. Yeah. Super meaningless work. Yeah. For not enough pay. And <laughs> feeling really underappreciated. And and it is just work that I'm doing with my hands. Yeah. And I'm like, what is the point? Yeah. What am I doing right now? And and sometimes the wisest things would be what my dad would say. Oh, you're building character. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought that was that was not great yeah, at the time, but it turns out to actually be true. That's, that is true. Like yes. in some ways, you are building character. Hey, you know, sometimes not everything is glamorous. Yeah, and 
raising kids is not glamorous. Like a lot of it is, you know, picking up Cheerios from places you didn't expect them to be. Or yes. Why is the surface sticky? Yes. Things like that. Yes. And, <laughs> and it's your job to yes. clean it up because nobody else is doing Nobody it. else will. And, no and one's coming to save you. No one's coming. <laughs> and so it's super pointless work. And if you don't think you've ever done pointless work, just have children. Oh my goodness. And you'll be fine. And they are, they are gifts. But my identity is not in the pointless work that I'm doing. It's yeah. not, I'm not more valuable because I'm doing it. I'm not less valuable if I don't. But it is a great way of contributing to, to, the, to the good of my kids mm. and saying, you know what, I'll, I'll cover you here. Like, yeah. I'm not going to shove your face in this. I'm just going to clean it up. And if I do figure out why it was sticky, we'll we'll talk. We'll, about we'll that. deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about it the next time you have a popsicle. Yeah. You know? But <laughs> hopefully, it was a popsicle yeah. <laughs> or something that was once edible. Yeah. Yes. Hopefully, because <laughs> otherwise, the the alternatives are not good. Not good. Like I've said before, I, well, and I may not have said it on this podcast, but I've realized the more children I have, the higher the probability that at some point I'm going to unintentionally eat poop. And, uh, and has and, risen. And that is terrifying prospect for me. That's always been a terrifying prospect for me. But now that I've had little, now we're almost out of that stage. And then we had a fourth child. So now we're doing it all over again. Like there the probability go. that, Oh, look, there's that food on my, Oh, that's not food. Like that's, it hasn't happened yet so far. It hasn't happened yet. And I'm hoping it doesn't, but it is a very real constant fear that I have and will have until my children are not in diapers slash can take care of their own toilet issues. I'm on the other side. The, yes, the, you are. The possibility of eating poop is going down. Yes, yes. The possibility of pooping myself is rising. <laughs> I think. <laughs> you know, but I, speaking of that, I, I think that's one of the things. It's it's so interesting to me how many people you see that they retire and then they just waste away. Oh, immediately. Because they have no more purpose. They have no more drive. They have no more. And yet, I've known some people who they retire and they get even busier than they were. Right. And it, and I think it changes because it's like it's not a requirement anymore. Right. Like I don't have to do this to live. But now I get to choose. I get to, yeah. I get to curate. You're doing the thing you love yeah, now. Yeah, I get to curate the things that I do. Um, and I remember Jordan Peterson talking about that. Hearing him talk about, like, what do you think the good life is? Like, retiring to a beach and and drinking margaritas is like you can do that for maybe an hour, maybe three if you're really trying. <laughs> it's like, but then you're gonna be like, well, now what do I do? I gotta do something. Yep. And we do. We think in those little moments of like, oh, it'd be great. It's like it's like when you're driving at night and you're super tired and you think to yourself, if I could just push a button and be in my bed right now, it'd be the best sleep I ever got in my life. It's like, true. Everybody's had that moment. But then when you're you know, have time to sleep all the time. You're like, you wake up and you're like, man, I'm, I'm bored. Like, let me do something else. Yes. Let me have everyone. Or we stay up too late and, you know, do things like this where we're up later than we should be. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's kind of that feeling. And then you get to it and you're like, okay, now what? Because people take vacation and be like, oh, retirement's going to be like this all the time. Yeah. But the vacation feels good because you've been working so hard. Right. When they're, when you're not going back to something, is it, is it that great? Right. <laughs> What yeah. does Dave Ramsey say? If you eat enough lobster, it tastes like soap. <laughs> <laughs> lobster used to be pri prison rations, which is interesting. What? Yeah. Yeah. It used to be back in the day that lobster was considered a a poor man's meal because they were just so, in the New England states, they were so numerous, and they would feed it to prisoners. 
Because <laughs> it was just like, yeah, this is like they're the bottom feeder of the sea. Feed them to the freedom of the prisoners. It used to be huh. the food of the downtrodden back in the day, and it was not <laughs> expensive. And then they discovered garlic butter, and everything <laughs> changed. <laughs> if we put garlic butter on this, it's amazing. <laughs> but no, I, I I do. I think that I think people have trouble putting work in its proper sp- perspective, both from its value. And from the lack of value it gives, like there's there's extremes on both sides of those of that pendulum, right? And very rarely do you hit that middle ground where you realize the tension between the two that you should be living in, in terms of work adding value but not being your value. And if anything, I the 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 sermon I've listened to most is almost impossible to find now, but it's called "Co-Laboring with God" mm. from uh, Paul Mandarin. Gave it as a message at Bethel one time, and. Bethel somehow took down all their sermons for <laughs> reasons. <laughs> for reasons. <laughs> but we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> probably because of the people they had given them. Oh, my. Uh, but there you go. Anyway, uh, the the message was about how God co- co-labors with us in the things we do, and there is not a secular sacred divide yeah. in Christianity because we realize that God cares about what it is that we're doing. And the best example I heard, and I've said it on the podcast before, I've said it in a number of different places, but there was a doctor that was listening to this message, and he's he said, you know, I used to think, and he did life-saving surgeries every day, and he's yeah. like, I used to think I was less less spiritual or less of a Christian because people didn't get healed by my just laying on of hands and I would just pray for them and they would get better. He's like, that wasn't happening. And, and Paul's like, and the Paul Manring had said, you know, surgery is not a second class healing. Right. And that's kind of what jump started it for this guy. And <clears throat> he said it, it was really freeing to hear that surgery is not a second class. healing. Right. God desires to heal people. And sometimes it's through surgery. Right. And so, uh, he said he said that this guy is now walking in freedom and in mm. joy in what he does. And now sometimes he heals by the laying on of his hands and sometimes by the laying on of his yeah. scalpel. And I think that's probably the most beautiful picture of yeah, how God co-labors with us in, in our work. There isn't this secular sacred divide. What you do for the Lord outside of the church is just as spiritual as what you do for him on the inside of the right. church. And it doesn't make it any better just because it happens inside the four walls. No. You have a mission field where it is that you've been called to serve. Right. And if you don't feel called to your job, get on your knees and ask God for a job that you can feel called into. Right. And sometimes that's not going to look anything like the destiny you think you have. Right. Um, and in the same message, and it just always got to me, Paul Mandring was saying how he he left his destiny twisting in the wind somewhere in South America because he got on his knees and was just like, God, where is it that you want me to go? Mm. And he had an opportunity in front of him to go run a prison. Uh, and and somebody had asked him to go run a prison in the UK. And he's like, okay, uh, what do I do? And he's like, this whole you know, thing, he's like, I just left it twisting in the breeze somewhere in Brazil. And I went back and I decided to run a prison for the Lord. Hmm. And he's like, it was the most rewarding work I've done yeah. to, the, to this date because it was a thing I was doing for the Lord and not for myself. I felt called to my job. I felt called to where I was going. And I realized that God was with me 
in my everyday work mm. and that the the end result of all of this is on him it's not on me i'm yeah. co-laboring with him i'm doing what he wants me to do where i'm at yeah and it matters it matters what you do even if it's not within the four walls of the church so so for me it's it's interesting because people ask me uh anything and there's always a more complicated answer so yeah. it's like what do you do well I, I have two jobs. <laughs> you know, I have one where I work at a factory as a trainer and the other one I am a pastor. <laughs> yeah. And and then it's like, well, where were you where you know, where did you grow up? Uh well, I was born in Canada and then I grew up in Pennsylvania and like You're just all, a man of two worlds. And it's just a long story. And I always <laughs> feel like I have my foot in two different worlds. And the number of times that people have asked me, you know, well, when are you and they, they don't know how to ask it, but like, when are you going to make pastoring your job or yeah. when are you going to pick one yeah. or when are you going to yeah. decide what it is that you want to do? And I'm kind of like, I don't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. I don't know what I want to do when I get big. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. know the answer to any of that. Yeah. But what I'm going to do is be faithful with what God's given me. And yeah. I love where I'm at. Yeah, I like. I love my church family. I work with some of the best people that you could ever work with. Mm. Now on on that side, and I only do it part time, and I'm never in the building. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's, yeah, it's great to interact with people, and I'd love to interact with them more. But I also work at my day job with some incredible people. Yeah. in a young company that's enthusiastic about what we do, we create something of incredible value. It's given me the opportunity to put my feet on soil all over the world that I never thought I would get yeah. to. And it, it's like I can see the blessing of the Lord on the things that I'm doing inside and outside of all of that. And right. if you would have told me while I'm doing pointless work about, I don't know, 15 years ago, just doing some pointless job that I honestly did not find that fulfilling yeah that this this would be where i am today i would have never understood it and i actually don't consider myself that successful <laughs> in anything that i do but i'm happy i'm content yeah and that's the most important thing and to me godliness with contentment is great gain yeah if you can feel called to what you're doing and seek the Lord in that. He's the one that does the calling. He's right. the one that will position you where he wants you to do and where he wants you to go. And if there's peace in it, take the next step forward, but be content in the thing that you're doing. Take contentment in it. Don't, don't be looking for the next salary, the next jump, the next position as yeah. well. That's my great destiny down the road. The, the title doesn't bring anything to you. Right. I, and that's that's something that at I would say you know twelve years ago I laid all that down yeah. and I really wanted a title more than anything mm. at that stage in my life I thought man if I could just run something so many things happen in my life that they just happen to me yeah somebody else is making the call somebody else tells me what to do somebody else tells me where to go if I could just make the call. And then it like sometimes down the road that happened and stuff started getting handed to me. And I, it's like, okay, this is your job. You got to take care of it. And I realized if you want responsibility, then you're going to have to take responsibility for the good and the bad of yeah. everything that you're responsible right. for. So <laughs> there's an incredible weight to all of that. Yeah. And one, I think the title doesn't define you, but it can, it can be a burden. Yes, absolutely. It can. 
And I, I think that one of the things that you just touched on that's so important that people miss, especially people who are, who are, who are Jesus followers, is that what we're called to more than anything else always in every place that we are is relationship. Relationship with God and relationship yeah. with those around us. And I remember hearing somebody say, and I don't remember if it was my dad or if he was quoting another pastor or what it was, but I remember hearing somebody say something to the effect of, oh, you know, you work at a factory and you get paid X amount of dollars a year to be at that factory. And God just reminded this person, hey, I could have you do that for free. I could just call you to be at that factory to minister to the people that are there and you not get paid for it. If, if you'd rather do that, we can do that. Again, reminding them, remind the Lord, reminding them that, no, this is your mission field. Like, this is your ministry. Right. The interactions, the people that you're touching, the lives that you're interacting with matter to me, and that is why you are there. I am right. allowing you to be paid and provide for your family in a, in a target-rich environment uh, for people that I want to encounter me. And I think we miss that. I think we miss that so much. Yeah. How would God call somebody to ministry in your field? Yeah. Like he called you? Yeah. I mean, you do get the badge that gets you in the door. Right. You have it's this, an employee badge. And, and you have the same Holy Spirit as me or Sheldon or right. somebody who's as ordained as me or more ordained than me or whatever yeah. it may be. Like that, it doesn't matter. Like you carry the same Holy Spirit that we do. Right. And and I think we do. We forget that. We forget that that is what we're called to ultimately. And I, I do kind of like to demystify the whole being a pastor thing. Yeah. Like it's... It's one of those things. These these are normal people. They yeah. they have studied some things. They spend a lot of time in the Word, and they're they're supposed to do all of that. But they're still normal people, and, right. and they're doing a they're doing a job. They're in ministry. They're doing a thing. But you are in ministry too, and that's yeah. that's one of the things that um, in the Church of the Nazarene is clearly stated that right. we believe in the ministry of all believers. Right. Right off the top, if you are a believer. You are in ministry somewhere. Right. And you have a mandate. Yeah. The calling may be different, but the mandate is the same. Yeah. You don't just get out of the Great Commission because you have a different title. <laughs> you don't you aren't called Reverend. <laughs> <laughs> which I've always hated. But that that shows up at the beginning of my name at several yes. things now these days, and it's very weird to see. Who was it? Was it Tim Ross that had people not call him pastor? I don't know. I that think sounds that was, like Tim Ross. That was him. He was yeah. make, he was he was like, nope. You call me Tim. Tim is who I am. Pastor is what I do. I will not be defined by what I <laughs> yeah. what I do. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, I don't run around calling you Plumber Tom, <laughs> something like that. He's like, why are you calling me Pastor Tim? This is what God's asked me to do. <laughs> Someday on Judgment Day, I'm not going to stand up there it's as true. Pastor no, Tim. So What's true. God going to do? Call my name out as Pastor yeah. Tim? You're up next. Yeah. No. No, that's not it. No, no, and I, it, I hear that. You're I do. just gonna be called Tim. I do. You know, it's funny because it is weird because the biggest reason that I have affection for being called pastor is because of Scott Johnson. Right. He was really the first person. I would say him and uh, Steve Flack. Yeah. And Steve, it was long before I even had the idea of becoming ordained in right. my sights. Like long before that, he was always kind of speaking that into me. Uh, he knew something I didn't. No, he knew something I was avoiding. There you go. Uh, he didn't know something I didn't. I knew, <laughs> but but Scott Johnson was the first person to really like force me to own that and force me to own that reality and that title, right. and it made me uncomfortable. It yeah. really did. But he was the person who basically forced me to become comfortable with it and be like, no, 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 
this is who you are. This is who you are to me. And so that's what I'm going to call you. And I'm like, man, that was, that was huge for me. Yeah. And again, it's not a point of identity. And I agree with you. Like, I don't care. Like there are people who call me Nate. There are people who call me Pastor Nate. There are people who call me Pat. Like it's all the things. And I've been called a lot worse. So. Yes, I have. Yeah, I that's have. That's fine. My mom, dad's family still call me Little Nathan most of the time. You know, <laughs> that's what you want to hear. It's nearly forty-year-old grown man, Little Nathan. <laughs> little Nathan. But it's okay. It's, is it's, your dad actually taller than you still? Yeah, he oh, still okay. is. Yeah, that's my dad. Why. My dad was six foot. After he gets both knees replaced, he may be six foot again. <laughs> uh, that one leg that he already got done is way straighter than the other one, so we'll see what he ends up with. Uh, but yeah, I've always been... That's probably why. I always told people, and I, I think this is why the Lord made me shorter, is because I always told people, oh, I want to be close enough to six foot to be able to lie about it. I am not. <laughs> I'm not close. You wanted to be Allen Iverson yeah, six Justin, foot. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I may be Allen Iverson six foot. I don't know how tall the guy actually is. All his, all his basketball cards always said six foot. I'm, I'm like, like, no, no way. It's not close. No, you're not. <laughs> but it didn't matter with yeah. that man. Oh. Yeah, my wife has two friends, Emily, that are not related to our family. And one is Aunt Emily and one is Little Emily. Nice. <laughs> and they're both grown, full grown women, but Little Emily. Yeah. 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 But it is, it is, it is, that is the constant tension, you know, not, not allowing what you do to define you, even though what you do does define you. But oh. not in the sense of your actions. No, I don't can, think what, can be what you do defines sense. you. I think what you like, what you're called to do yeah. is what God has asked you to do. I don't know right. that that defines you. I think right. what defines you is your is your heart in it and and who you are as as a child of God. What yeah. He's created you to be. But yeah, yeah. I don't think what you do defines you. I, I like Tim's approach there. That's why I'm always a little uncomfortable when people call me pastor. But yeah. I, I like it for them. I think right. that's good. I right. agree with you. And it's and it and does... Scott's gone on to be with Jesus, and he left yes. his mark there. And yes, there's he a has. number of people that that have carried on doing that. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't know that I'd be as forceful about it as Tim and just saying nope, no, don't call me pastor. No, I, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't either. Uh, but again, what I'm I what I was referencing there is 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 your actual actions having some reality of definition of you, which is kind of what we talked about in right. the podcast anyway. You know, a lot of times what you do matters more than what you say, right. uh, both to the good and to the bad. Um, but yeah, I, I I do. I think that the core of all of it does. It comes down to if if you're a believer, it's identity in Christ. That's the only way nothing's going to ring hollow. I don't care if it's vocational ministry. I don't care if it's, you know, again, what you would consider a mundane job. It's identity in Christ that's actually fulfilling. It's not it's not anything else. Not anything else at all. But still, how we carry ourselves in those things is important. Yeah. Take joy in what you do. It's the constant tension. It can be fun. It can be fun. Yes. <laughs> well, well, there you go. There you go. That, that should be about it. Uh, rate this episode on iTunes if you can. If you want to send us an email, the things we say at mail.com. Uh, you can find us on facebook.com slash the things we say podcast. The other social media is at TTWS podcast. And we're back at it. So we should be up there on iTunes again. So uh, if you guys keep, keep listening, we'll keep doing it. Yep. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. 
You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.